This is the Hospitality Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. Hospitality is a people industry. You don't want to take away that human element. You hire the kind of employee that's going to act like an owner, that's going to have that initiative. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast. I'm Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the show. Today's episode is titled Remembering a Legend, and it looks back at the legacy of Herb Kelleher, the co-founder, CEO, and chairman emeritus of Southwest Airlines. We're going to have a conversation with Ginger Hardage, the former senior vice president of culture and communications at Southwest. She's going to join to talk about Herb's management style, his sense of humor, and the way that he dealt with difficult circumstances like 9-11. She has a lot of great stories about the late CEO of Southwest Airlines, and so we're going to get some of those stories today. She sat down with my colleague Daniel Lippman for a conversation about this man who's just such a giant in the hospitality industry. Our second feature of the day is going to be a conversation that Market Scale's Maggie Shan had with Aaron Francis Cummings, the president and CEO of Destination Analysts. And they're going to talk about this trend of travelers opting for smaller towns or off the beaten path destinations rather than going to those places that are traditionally tourist heavy. So they're going to take a look at why this is happening, a few reasons for it, and why travelers are seeking more of that authentic experience. They also discuss primary considerations and marketing tactics that the industry can really use to capitalize on this trend. I think it's going to be really, really interesting. And I'm certainly someone that would like to go and experience places that might not be the traditional touristy type spots, mainly because I want to go and I want to experience an authentic flavor of the place that I am visiting. So I would rather go somewhere that doesn't feel like it's a touristy facade, but rather I'm seeing the actual authentic version of the place that I'm I'm visiting. So I definitely understand where this is coming from, and I'm curious to hear more about what Aaron Francis Cummings, the president and CEO of Destination Analyst, has to say about this trend as well. But before we get to that, let's get to our conversation with Ginger Hardage, the former senior vice president of culture and communications at Southwest Airlines, looking back at the immense legacy of Herb Kelleher, the late CEO of Southwest Airlines, coming up next on the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast. All right, today we're joined by Ginger Hardage. She is the founder of Unstoppable Cultures and the former senior vice president of culture and communications at Southwest Airlines. And today we're going to be getting some really authentic storytelling from Ginger, digging into her experiences working with Herb Kelleher. It's going to be a great conversation. Ginger, great to have you on for your third podcast. How are you doing? Thank you, Daniel. It's great to be back again. Absolutely. Wonderful to be uh, connected to your audiences. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more. And your insight's always very valuable. And this time around, you know, we're not exploring tips and tricks. We're not exploring industry trends. We're really just getting to know a human being. I feel like Herb Kelleher is one of those people that people can more or less understand what kind of a person he was because he was very much, I think, the same person behind closed doors as he was in front of his audiences and making his um, grand displays and basically taking Southwest to where it's at now. Um, And so I think just to get a little more insight, I'd like to know 
your experiences working with Herb and basically letting our audiences know what defined his leadership style, uh, what made him such a special CEO and leader and friend, and what can people take away from the example he set at Southwest Airlines. So why don't we start just on a basic level, how did you first meet Herb Kelleher and what was that initial relationship like? Well, I was one of the lucky people that got hired by Southwest Airlines. And now there are 63,000 employees at Southwest Airlines. And all of us and those people who um, even worked for the airline at another time and have since retired or gone on to um, another phase of life, we're all so lucky to have passed through that door at Southwest Airlines. I actually joined in 1990, and my interview was with Herb Kelleher and Colleen Barrett. And Colleen went on to become the president of Southwest Airlines, and now she's president emeritus. But my interview was with them, and it was, at, you know, I had another job, and I interviewed with them at night. You know, that's what you do when you're trying to switch jobs. If your um, people are flexible and they were so flexible, they let me interview with them one night. And we had, it went on for hours. We had a great conversation and I felt great about it. And I expected to hear from them pretty quickly. And I didn't hear and I didn't hear. And then I got a call one day from someone who said, I'm the vice president of governmental affairs and I'm sitting here with the vice president of marketing and we're waiting on you for your job interview. <laughs> and, um, and I, and I just, you know, startled. And then he started laughing and he said, then we realized we didn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I quickly made up for that, but I, um, anyone who has been in Herb's presence, um, immediately has a Herb story. He touched so many lives. Um, and everyone that met him has a story about that encounter. You know, he really had a laser focus on people. He was a true business original. And he, Herb, had a fanatical dedication to thinking and doing things differently. And many of the stories that have been written um, about him since he passed on January 3rd of this year are how much of a maverick and a pioneer, and he truly was both of those things. I mean, I think in all of the stories I've read of Herb, they all do point to that perseverance and that determination he had, but it was never one that was super serious or super muddled in, we, you know, we have to get this done and, you know, it's this way or the highway. He was very open, very fun, and he kept his goals focused on the cause, not just the company. Um, in this Harvard Business Review article that I found on Herb Kelleher's legacy, I think the part that stands out to me the most is when the writer mentions that Southwest Airlines was never just a company to him, but it was really a cause because he really believed in the idea of democratizing the skies and it's something that we're used to now but back in 1971 that wasn't the case and he saw a future where affordable easy and flexible flying for every american was accessible you know it wasn't that far away and he made it happen uh, what do you think really motivated him to want to push Southwest Airlines to where it's at now. What about the idea of democratizing the skies you think personally impassioned him? 
Well, absolutely. Herb loved people, and he didn't think that air travel should be relegated to the wealthy. And um, his vision to be able to see, and it's hard for those of us who weren't in that time period uh, to, to imagine, but air travel really was for the elite, and not every, not every family could go on a family vacation, and not every business person could afford to fly either. Many people could only afford to drive and expand their businesses only as far as um, car transportation would take them. But Herb had a very different open mind about that. And he saw that air travel really could uh, revolutionize how we did business in America and how we as Americans were able to live and uh, enjoy our leisure time. And he truly did change that. He stuck to it and to this day, that still is that same belief of Southwest Airlines um, that serving people uh, where they are able to fly for family vacations or able to go on a business trip and continue to follow on that purpose of, of connecting people to what's important in their lives through both friendly, reliable, and absolutely low-cost air travel. And, you know, reading more on the legacy of Southwest Airlines, the fact that in its 30 plus years, it hasn't had a money losing year ever, right? It is one of the best performing stocks. Uh, It's pretty incredible. You know, he built not only a great company culture, but a successful just business model in general. But I think people you know, show their true colors during stressful situations too, or during situations where things aren't going quite as planned. So I'd like to know, what do you think was one of the biggest challenges for Herb during his career? And how do you remember him handling that challenge uh, in the same way that, you know, he handled the positives? Absolutely. Uh, the, the thing that uh, would come to mind, I think, for most employees, if you were to ask that question, was what happened after 9-11? And um, I I'm, I'm remember all of us who were there remember that day very specifically. It was a, a terrible day for our nation. And uh, in the airline industry, of course, we felt it very acutely um, because they were uh, airplanes were used as the weapon. And immediately all airplanes had to be put on the ground uh, because we didn't know if there were other terrorists out there and there were. And um, so all of our aircraft had to be put on the ground Um, The uh, leadership very quickly assembled in the boardroom uh, to determine uh, what we were going to do as a carrier. The most important thing at that time, I remember Herb really stressing, we wanted to know where all of our people were and where all of our customers were. Uh, Because some of the aircraft literally had to land at cities we didn't serve. For example, Cedar Rapids is a city Southwest did did not serve, and aircraft landed there as an example. So that was the first that so that really is the focus of Herb, taking care of our people and our customers. That was his primary focus, wanting to know that everyone was safe. And um, I can just remember the relief when we found identified where our final aircraft was and that everyone was okay. And Herb Kelleher and Colleen Barrett immediately put in place um, a way for us to follow and and keep track of our employees, making sure our customers and um, our employees, letting them know that we would be taking care of them um, in this very difficult time. 
And um, one of I I remember coming back up to the office um, o- over that next weekend because some of the airlines were starting to already announce layoffs, and. Um, we determined that we would not have any layoffs and Southwest to this day still has had not had a layoff or a furlough. And um, even after those very dark months and years after the 9-11 attacks, uh, other airlines d- declared bankruptcy, they f- continue to furlough, but Southwest determined that uh, furloughs or layoffs would be the last place we would look. And Herb made sure that we looked under every rock of ways we could cut costs, how we could trim and uh, really save the lives, uh, save the jobs of the people at Southwest Airlines. And he saw to that. I love that. I love the people first mentality. And I think it's something that extended into really how he decided to brand the company too and come up with the culture for the company. It was, how do we make this experience something that no other airline is going to be able to offer? And that's something that you obviously had a very strong part in developing as well. So in crafting the company culture, what do you remember in your conversations with Herb of deciding what do we want the company to feel like on the outside and on the inside? Well, that that is one thing that um, we all definitely learned from Herb is that he not only, as you mentioned earlier, lived his life that way, um, but he also made sure that however we were as a company, Uh, on the inside. We all know that it can find its way to the outside. We've seen some bad examples of that of other companies recently. But that is what we always worked on at Southwest is make sure that uh, what you saw on the inside was also what you experienced on the outside. So I think one of the strongest things that um, under Herb's leadership and Colleen Barrett's leadership as well that we made sure that happened is that we stuck to our values. So I've already mentioned, there's three values. I'd already mentioned one of them earlier that really personify Herb and that's that warrior spirit. But there were two others that he also lived every day that were so much part of our values. One um, was having a servant's heart and really that emphasis on serving the customer. So Herb would set that example. He'd serve the snacks on the flights. Um, He would, Um, He was always making sure that as a company, we were giving back to others, uh, whether that be Ronald McDonald House Charities or another special charity for the organization. He was always giving back. He had that incredible servant's heart. But as we all know, he also led with that fun-loving attitude, and that really epitomized his personality. And uh, whether he was wearing some outlandish Halloween costume. Uh, There's lots of pictures of Herb out in an Elvis costume. If you uh, Google him, you'll find that. Or um, one that sticks out in my mind is one of the stunts uh, that we had uh, to settle the dispute over an airline slogan that we had. It was- Oh, and you know what? I'm so (laughs) glad you brought that up because I was honestly about to prompt you to talk about that. Malice in Dallas, I think, is one of the- One of the most iconic branding moves ever. And it was just just the idea of, hey, we're going to settle a dispute with an arm wrestling match. Can you believe that? And the fact that, oh, no, it's crazy. And the fact that Herb agreed to it and went through with it and it turned into this big show. I mean, it's... um, 
it definitely set the stage for what does organic, authentic, and just absolutely unique marketing and branding look like. Uh, it, it's a, a real testament for sure. Well, that's many years before social media was even exactly. uh, a whisper. And um, Herb really did settle this um, with an arm wrestling match. There was a slogan we had called Just Plain Smart and a small aviation firm um, in the Northeast also had that uh, slogan, Just Plain Smart. So Herb and that CEO, Kurt Herwald, uh, actually set up a wrestling match. And we have, uh, you can probably Google it and still find it, some of the training videos of Herb. So uh, I think you easily find that he liked wild turkey. So instead of his training in the gym, uh, lifting weights, he was lifting uh, quarts of wild turkey or gallons <laughs> of wild turkey and uh, in his training. So he, he lost the arm wrestling match, but all the money was given to charity. And uh, that was very typical of Herb, but it did make news around the world uh, with that crazy stunt for settling an arm wrestling match. So it does speak uh, to his fun-loving attitude and that has continued to personify Southwest Airlines to this day with the flight attendants um, who have fun on uh, on the flights with all of the, their humor and any of the employees that you encounter who don't take themselves too seriously. And what a great way to live your job and to really encourage employees to find their own voice no matter where they're at in the company, right? They could be VP of culture like you, or they could be um, a pilot, or they could be um, just a, a staffer, a anyone, um, a, a flight attendant, but they all get to exp express themselves in unique ways. And I think that is what really sets Southwest Airlines apart. So to wrap things up, you know, now that Herb has passed away and his legacy obviously continues what do you think is the biggest or the most inspirational thing you can pull away from his career and his life as a business owner, right? I think keeping it focused on on what he did, not only as a leader, but as a business owner is pretty incredible. So, you know, if if other people had to turn and look to Herb and take away some inspiration, what would you say the most crucial bit would be? Well, um, one of his quotes is, a company is stronger if it is bound by love rather than by fear. Mm. And I think a lot of people in the business world might be hesitant to talk about love in, um, in a business environment. And Herb was not afraid to show love for his employees and appreciation for his customers. And I think all of us as leaders, if we could put a little more love into the approach that we have toward our businesses, um, they would all be much stronger. And um, the other thing I would also take away is how much better we all are if we are our authentic selves every day when we come to work. We're the same person at home, we're the same person at work. And Herb really exemplified that. And as leaders, if we can embrace that, um, we can definitely be stronger leaders and pass that on to our employees and not be so prescriptive 
and the way that we allow our employees to live our values. Because if we're too prescriptive and too, put too many boundaries, uh, we've all been on that call center, um, other in, end of that receiving line of a call center who's someone who's reading a script to you, and how much better it is if we allow people to be them, their, their authentic selves, to be human, and uh, to approach business that way. So if leaders could be more authentic and not be as prescriptive into the way they let their employees live out their values and connect with their customers every day, I think a lot of us would have much stronger businesses. Well, Ginger, I really want to thank you for giving us this insight and a very personal look at Herb Kelleher as a leader as a business owner and as a friend and a colleague. So I appreciate it. And, you know, uh, what Herb did for American aviation, what he did as a leader and what he did as a philanthropist, all will live on for a very long time. And I appreciate you giving us this very personal look. Thank you, Daniel. Herb was one of a kind. And uh, may we all strive to be more like him. Thank you very much. Thank you again to Ginger Hardage for joining the podcast today to remember the late founder and CEO of Southwest Airlines, Herb Kelleher. I really enjoyed that look at just who he was as a person, a little bit more about his sense of humor and just the the person he was, I suppose, because we've heard a lot about him uh, just in terms of his business sense and that sort of thing. But I really enjoyed the, the personal look at his personality and who he really was deep down from somebody who knew him and worked with him for a very, very long time. So thank you so much to Ginger again for joining the podcast today. And thank you to my colleague, Daniel Littman, for conducting that interview. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at that trend of off-the-beaten-path travel destinations and why it is growing at the moment and why maybe people are turning away from the more popular travel destinations. Not necessarily that people aren't going to touristy-type places anymore. That's certainly still happening. But just taking a look at why more people are trending towards the option to see places that aren't quite as notable in terms of travel destinations. So Market Scale's Maggie Shan is going to sit down with Aaron Francis Cummings, the president and CEO of Destination Analysts, and they're going to have a conversation about this trend and what the industry can learn from it overall. So I'm excited to get to hear more about this coming up next here on the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast. Hello, and welcome to this hospitality podcast brought to you by Market Scale. I'm your host, Maggie Shin. One travel trend, both domestic and international, that has been gaining real traction, particularly among the millennial generation, is foregoing the big city and opting for a more experiential, quote-unquote, authentic experience in smaller, less crowded towns or locations. Aaron Francis Cummings, president and CEO of Destination Analysts, has spent the last decade studying travelers from across the globe and translating their evolving, complex, and fascinating behaviors into marketing insights for the company's clients. She's been following this small-town travel trend for years and is here to share some of her insights on some of the reasons behind the trend, along with how these smaller towns are being affected and ways in which the hospitality industry can meaningfully capitalize on the trend. Welcome, Erin. Thanks for chatting with me today. It's wonderful to be here. 
Let's talk about the rising trend of travel outside of the main big cities. Tell me about the trend, Erin, and what you believe are a few of the reasons behind it. Well, Maggie, you're right that it is certainly a trend. I was just looking at our latest data from our quarterly survey of American travelers, the state of the American traveler. And over half of American travelers say they have a high level of excitement to visit small towns and rural destinations uh, in this coming year, uh, which is has grown uh, since we first started asking that question. Uh, so it's certainly on the rise, like you said. Uh, and in thinking of how we got to this point, I think it's an, a perfect storm of factors. One really importantly is just travel is up across the globe. Uh, travel has increased tremendously in the last decade. Uh, and so with smaller destinations uh, being more popular, that has not taken away from big cities. So big cities are not seeing any kind of decrease in their own uh, visitor volumes. It's just that there are more people traveling and taking more trips. Another factor though, uh, is just the technology led democratization of our communication. Uh, we know that with social media and how connected we are through technology, it's just much easier now than it was for you and my parents to discover new places and for our friends to share those places. Uh, and then technology has led also just to more access for travelers. So because of what's happened in infrastructure, there are now more flights. Uh, there, those flights connect us to all different corners of the globe. Uh, as we all know, there's very few places left that humans uh, can't access or touch. <laughs> uh, and then on a more a psychological level, uh, you know, we've had explosive growth in the world population. And I think that um, a smaller towns or uh, places off the beaten path or away from big cities have experienced um, a growth, a tourism growth of because of uh, people wanting to escape uh, the stress that comes with world population growth. I think we we don't have this so much in the United States to the degree they do in other countries because of how large our geography is. But I, I remind my American uh, tourism industry counterparts all the time. I show them pictures of what a beach looks like over in Asia. Uh, and you're mm -hmm. just shoulder to shoulder uh, with people. And I think that smaller destinations are benefiting from people just wanting to um, not have this density of humans as their primary daily experience. Uh, and have, you know, it's, I think it's important, we all know that benefit of being able to just connect back to nature. Uh, and so they're benefiting from that. And then I think one other thing is that uh, the way the people tend to be right now, and at least we like to say by generations, there's this uh, interesting tension we've observed uh, between wanting to be different and yet having acceptance. And so the those smaller towns are off the beaten path, uh, path type of destinations, allow uh, people to say about themselves, I'm different, and show themselves as someone that's willing to go uh, off the beaten path and then also get gain acceptance by being able to show that. Um, so those, those are my thoughts on, on why we're seeing this trend uh, and this rise in uh, tourism to places outside of big cities. 
how is the travel industry and the hospitality industry, how are they responding to this trend with marketing? I know marketing is your expertise. So uh, how is the industry responding to this trend? Yeah, the, so the, the most common, I'd say, visible impact that we've seen uh, from a, on a marketing sense, everyone has to learn now about the tastes and preferences of cultures very different from their own. Yeah. I would say the, the most frequent you hear about uh, is from China. Uh, the Chinese are traveling more than ever, and they mm-hmm. are really, you know, again, hungry for experiences which allow them to escape from that really busy urban life many of them have. And so that benefit, I think it, it comes across in how destinations are marketing themselves that allow that, that freedom. You see a lot of uh, messages about freedom uh, being marketed to travelers. Um, about these uh, smaller towns and off the beaten path places. Also, you'll see a lot in response to this, destination marketers really want to spread the positive impact of tourism. So it's actually it actually helps them that there is this desire now to go, you know, away, or it, not not away from experience the bucket list, you know, check off the box things, but also get more intimate or different types of things that allows them to spread the positive impact of tourism, which only you know, benefits the industry overall, if more people, you know, see like, okay, my business benefits from tourism. And so on the marketing side, you'll see a lot of pushing of uh, neighborhoods, getting visitors out to neighborhoods and and marketing these different neighborhoods and personalities, or on a a state level, uh, rural destinations or destinations outside of the, the bigger cities. So you track both American and international travelers' behaviors and perceptions when it comes to travel, Aaron. Do you have any insight on how the traveler who wants this off the beaten track experience, how they approach where they stay, where they eat, where they shop? Yes. And and interestingly, uh, the whole concept of off the beaten path is we see in the data, it's a little more of a challenge to sell to some cultures. Uh And that doesn't mean that they aren't going to off the beaten path places, but it's likely very different in how they're getting convinced to go and the type of visitor experience that they're designing for themselves or someone's designing for them there. Uh, so I was looking at our our data and the the types of uh, international travelers that are most open to the whole concept of getting off the beaten path, uh, and our Latin markets. Uh, that those are definitely uh, even more than the Europeans, someone really that are really open to the concept of getting off the beaten path. Uh, our Asian markets are less so, mm-hmm. um, but again, as we know, we are, we seeing our Japanese visitors, our Chinese visitors, our Korean visitors still going to these off the beaten path places. I think again, they're just they're being sold on it in, in, in a different way. They're not that concept is not necessarily being used. And then you know, of course, millennial uh, travelers across the globe are really more open to that concept than baby boomers. Yeah. Uh, But in terms of how they're making their decisions on where to stay and what to eat and where to shop, off the beaten path uh, type of travelers, they're still into traditional hotels, not seeing their rate of using those hotels uh, really be um, off from where people who are not so into off the beaten path. Okay. But as you might imagine, they are far more open and interested to alternative lodging like bed and breakfast, home rentals, campsites wilderness resorts, even houseboats. And so I think that makes for a traditional hotel, it's more competitive. It's more, it's easier to lose them 
right at the purchase point, right? They can get distracted by, oh, wow, look at this cool alternative lodging. Yeah. So, and also importantly, in looking at them, they, in looking at at least what they want to do in uh, international travels when they want to come to the United States, and probably when they want to, when they go to any other country outside their own, uh, they are definitely wanting to experience something that's unique to that culture that they're in. And so we see them say that they want to go to stores that are uniquely American, or they want to eat in restaurants that have distinctly American cuisine. Mm-hmm. What about the small towns themselves um, that haven't historically been subject to heavy travel like some big cities, Erin? How are they being affected by this trend um, That from what you've seen? Well, they had to quickly, uh, you know, largely led by the destination marketing organization, get themselves trained on these uh, new cultures that they're seeing uh, in their markets and uh, what they need to do to cater to those. Um, so like the destination marketing organizations have to lead, you know, China ready workshops, for example, and just get everyone who touches the visitor experience taught and trained. Uh, and then, you know, there's been a scramble, I think, to develop product and provide services for an influx of these new visitors. A lot of cases it's not even international visitors, but just visitors from other parts of the United States uh, that they're not used to. Now, a number of areas are really desperately in need of expansion of their infrastructure, particularly their roads. Uh, but, you know, that takes understanding and commitment from governments and you know, sadly, that's not been enough of the case. Mm-hmm. But, you know, tourism money brings in the ability to sustain, you know, what higher quality dining and shopping experiences in those towns. And then also, I would say an increase in tourism makes it more common for those local residents to start to offer up their homes on Airbnb. Yeah. And uh, Airbnb is a topic we could probably spend the next two hours talking about because that, that opens up, you know, uh, that opens up a, a, a number of uh, cans. Yes. <laughs> so it, having said that, in your opinion, from what you've seen and your experience, is small town travel, is this trend good for the hospitality industry? And if so, explain a little bit about that for me. So I've done most of my work on the destination level. Um, but in doing that, I've worked extensively, obviously, with our, hotel, our our hospitality industry counterparts. And so when I hear that question, I think resoundingly, yes, it, it's good for the hospitality industry. And the first thing that comes to mind for me is that it gives the hospitality industry even a, lar- a larger pool of trained hospitality workers. Mm-hmm. So these small towns are seeing uh, visitors, people are hired to serve them. Now there's even a greater number of trained hospitality workers available to, to move to different places. And then I also think very good that there's another opportunity to perhaps gain a new audience that they wouldn't reach as easily just in big cities. Mm -hmm. So there's likely a niche of of people or perhaps even new travelers uh, that are starting out going in smaller towns. Uh, And those are audiences, again, that they can reach there, um, but providing a good experience. And then, you know, they can become loyalists to their brands and follow those brands as they mature as travelers. And then, you know, hospitality is probably going to end up being the biggest industry in some of those smaller towns. I think it's always beneficial for any industry to be the biggest. Yeah. 
I wonder how companies in this market that want to capitalize on this trend, how can they do it the right way in your opinion? So I think that practical things need to still be considered. I know this isn't the fun side, but safety needs to be considered. It is paramount. I think we often have our really romantic notions about travel, but I would say our data has shown us over and over that people consider safety strongly in their destination selection. And so in terms of marketing, you don't need to be obvious and, and you know, say like, this, you know, list crime statistics. Yeah. But in whatever marketing that you're putting out there in a very conscious way, it needs to show that this place is safe. Uh, and then also, you know, he, uh, uh, again, as, as romantic as people like to think of themselves, you know, I, I have the pleasure of getting to interview hundreds of travelers every year, and they still want their needs met. Uh, and so thinking, putting the customer at the center, and uh, it's amazing how many people still need to be <laughs> reminded of that, but putting the customer at the center and what their needs are, they really still want to be comfortable. And on that, they still also in this day and age want to be connected. Uh, I know there's that escapism that they're wanting, but I've seen so many people, like the anxiety that is palpable when I talk to them about not having Wi-Fi or cell service for an extended amount of time. Yeah. I, I, it's like I said, the anxiety is palpable. Uh, and so they may want that escape. But at the same time, they want to have like that net there to know that they can be connected if they want to. They're still going to be comfortable. Their needs are still going to be met. Thank you for those insights, Erin. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I enjoyed it. Thank you everyone for listening to today's hospitality podcast brought to you by MarketScale. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com industries and listen to previous episodes, search video content, and more. I'm your host, Maggie Shin. See you next time. Thank you so much to our correspondent, Maggie Shin, for conducting that interview. And thank you to Aaron Francis Cummings, the president and CEO of Destination Analysts, for joining us on the show today. I enjoyed that look just at more off-the-beaten-path travel destinations and why this is becoming such a trend right now. I certainly fall into that same category as well. And thank you again to Ginger Hardage for joining us to talk about the late co-founder and CEO of Southwest Airlines, Herb Kelleher. I really enjoyed that more just human look at who he was as a person, his sense of humor and that sort of thing. You know, he's such a legend when it comes to the hospitality and transportation industries that, you know, sometimes we don't consider the full person. Just we, we, we don't get to hear a lot of stories about his sense of humor or who he was and how he handled difficult circumstances. So I really did enjoy that uh, more in-depth look at the person of Herb Kelleher from someone that worked with him for such a long time. That is all we have time for for this week's episode of the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the show. We certainly hope that you enjoyed it. Make sure that you share this around with your friends, relatives, neighbors, uh, other people in the industry, anybody that you think might enjoy this content, please feel free to send it their way. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at MarketScale, and you can subscribe to these podcasts on iTunes or Spotify to make sure you stay up to date with the latest hospitality content from MarketScale. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Market Scale scale hospitality podcast. But until then, I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Thank you for listening.